0: Okay, guys, uh, tonight will be uh, boring Um, because um, I said to you last week, uh, this is why it'll be boring, uh, because I I said to you last week that there are no New Testament texts that teach this doctrine of rewards, Uh, this uh, ranking um, of people in heaven, This, uh, this endless series of gradations in heaven, um, and that endless series of gradations that, were going to, that are going to exist forever. And, and I told you that there is, I mean, my assertion was um, that there are no New Testament texts that teach that. Um, and thus it becomes incumbent upon me to, to try and demonstrate that. Um. You are biblicist, and I glory in the fact that you are. Um, so ultimately, what you need is not opinions from me, and, and um, uh, what you need is to have the texts, and there are several. You need to have the texts confronted. Uh, if indeed that statement that there are no New Testament texts that teach this doctrine, then we need to look at the texts. And thus the boring. Just working our way through um, 10, 12 texts, you might find to be um, somewhat off-putting. But it's the essential work of uh, building whatever it is that we believe. Um, Last week, we started with uh, the Matthew 20 parable, uh, verses 1 through 16, which I Suggested to you, taught the opposite of that rewards doctrine thing, uh, about the uh, landowner that goes out and hires somebody at six, and then at nine, and 12, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end, they all get the same thing. Then we looked first at those, uh, what, what I call crown texts, there were five of them, the text that uses the word crowns in it, uh, to deal with those texts, because again, um, your, you who have believed such a truth <clears throat> have fixed your um, beliefs on such text. So we looked at those first. We, we got rid of those last week. And so in light of the fact that we're going to do a lot of uh, just, um, I don't know, what you'd call exegetical work tonight, um, I, I wanted to warn you that um, you might be bored in tears but if you'll stay with me, some of the texts I think you'll find uh, exhilarating. And, and I did think that I would kind of spice this up just a little bit by drinking this throat, <laughs> <clears> throat> No, uh, I thought I would spice it up um, a bit by, by, um, by doing this. Guys, that doctrine of rewards, that is, um, you are saved by faith in Christ, but you are rewarded uh, by your works. And so that there are endless gradations in heaven that are assigned to you forever. And so there's all kinds of um, uh, ranking of people in heaven. <clears throat> um, that, 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 that truth, or that, no, that, no, that, that position, um, which has been held by so many for so long, uh, and I'm seeking to overturn because I think it ultimately contributes to our illness. It appeals to us at our basis level. That is, I'm going to get something out of this if I do this. Now, let me um, um, guess, but I think that those who teach this doctrine of rewards do so with a um, pure intention. What they're trying to do is to motivate you to live a holy life, knowing that, um, you know, the rewards are coming. Now, with that motive in mind, not the one that I use, but the one that has been used with you um, for decades... I want to ask you this. <clears throat> Tell me, have you ever in your Christian experience been contemplating sin? I'm going to do that. And in the process of you considering this, you thought, hmm. I better not do that, or I will lose rewards. Did you ever do that? Ever? Once? Did you ever think, well, the reason that I'm not going to choose to sin? is because my preacher told me that I might lose rewards. Tell me. Did it stop you? Ever. Once. No. The, The point is, ladies and gentlemen... Though you may think that the doctrine is a New Testament doctrine, which it isn't, it doesn't work. It never will work. It can't work. Promising you some kind of eternal reward that can somehow control your behavior. Doesn't work. Now, um, it it may have been used like this with you. I feel all coded, don't you? Um, This may have happened. You sinned. And you're really feeling bad about it. And so you're lying in your bed feeling badly about your sin. And you say to your soul, Well, that's bad, what I just did. But I'm not going to lose my salvation. But I may lose a few rewards. I don't know that you've ever thought like that. Maybe you did. That that I can see um, may have some validity that is to comfort you. But the motive behind the doctrine is to encourage God's people to live a holy life and it has never worked once. Not in a person in this room. Never have I avoided sin because I thought well I don't want to lose some of my rewards in, in eternity. It doesn't it didn't work. It can't work. Because that's not the way that holiness is produced. It is never produced, ladies and gentlemen, from the outside in. It is always produced from the inside out. I said to you last week, how do we change the behavior of God's people? The answer is we change their loves we don't give them stricter rules. And then tell them, <clears throat> if you obey those, we've got a nice package of rewards wait- awaiting you. That is positively hurtful. And, and, and I am convinced, ladies and gentlemen, that one of the reasons that one of the experts Part of the explanation of the high school student that's raised in the Christian school and then goes off to the college campus and lives like, just loses his mind or hers can be traced back to this doctrine. Now, let's look at the texts. And we're going to have to move somewhat rapidly we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 3. And guys, um, um, I can talk to you afterwards, but we, we're going to have to move pretty fast. But this is the text that is familiar to you. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, beginning at verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, the stones, wood, each one's work will become manifest. I'm I'm skipping. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. <clears throat> so, Jimmy, how could you possibly disagree with this? Guys, most commenta- uh, commentaries agree that um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 10... Uh, uh, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we may, each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. <clears throat> Most people agree that 2 Corinthians 5 is referring to 1 Corinthians 3. Now, am I trying to say to you that there is no appearance before Christ for us? No, I'm not saying that. <clears throat> There is an appearance of Christ. There is a, there is a t- time when we will stand before him. Yes. Um, but guys, look at the 1 Corinthians 3 passage. So w- what this doctrine tells us, uh, that as at that moment when I appear before Christ, there are going to be rewards passed out. <clears throat> Gang. Nothing about that is said, but the point is 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, along with 1 John 2, are all referring to a judgment day. Um, They are not describing some everlasting hierarchy in heaven or some distribution point for rewards. What the believer loses When his work is so shoddy, he loses the satisfaction of his life's work counting. But he does not lose rewards because the reward is heaven. Um, And that I think is made clear in verse 15. 1 Corinthians 3, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The scene here is comparing being lost and being saved, not some kind of distribution point for, for rewards. All right, let's move on. How about a group of texts that talk about the least and the greatest? For instance, John the Baptist. Um, Matthew chapter 11. Um, uh, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Sounds like gradations to me. Guys, this whole series of texts that include this, uh, this greater or least idea, the question that you've got to ask yourself is this. Um the reference is to what? Something future or something present? Clearly, I think, you would agree that Jesus is not saying that every christian who has ever lived, however carnal they may be, has proved to be more virtuous than John the Baptist and thus will receive greater rewards than John the Baptist. Guys, the only thing that Jesus means here is that John the Baptist, is greatest, the greatest prophet the, the Old Testament era ever knew, he lost out. He lost out on the privilege because he died before it was consummated. He lost out on the privilege of seeing the the uh, the new covenant inaugurated in Christ's death, resurrection, and and at Pentecost. <clears throat> John the Baptist is least because anybody who got to see that was had greater exposures, but not that some kind of willful carnal believing person is going to have a better status in heaven than john the baptist is surely you don't believe that Um, there's a whole nother section in in matthew chapter 5 verse 19 Um, therefore whoever uh, relaxes one of the um one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven Again, the question that you've got to ask yourself is Is that a reference to later, future, or is it a reference to now? Um, I would say if you mishandle the law, then, um, or if you handle the law rightly, then you perform your ministry in a greater way than those who don't. Um, Matthew 18. Um, verse 4, um, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Guys, <clears throat> surely you don't want to do that with this text. Gang, what the text is teaching, that whoever humbles themselves, all of them, All of them who do like this, they are the greatest. Gang, the the criterion for greatness now is precisely the criterion for entrance into heaven. It um, It is promised to all who humble themselves. They're all the greatest, not comparing levels of greatness in heaven. Um, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones. as if there were some kind of hierarchy in heaven where there are 12 guys that are going to judge everybody else. Guys, look at what it says. You who have followed me, anybody who has been a follower of Christ is going to be useful in the judgment of those who have not. Um, back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Gang, that is simply a repeat of the theme that is found in verse 10. And what is found in verse 10? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Guys, it's not talking, it's simply referring to the fact that people who get persecuted um, are rewarded with heaven, not some type of gradation. The the reward is heaven. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Folks, if you practice your righteousness so that you can be seen by people and applauded by people, you're going to miss out on the reward. And the reward is heaven. This text is far scarier than we've handled it in the past. This is not about, oh, there are some people who make it into heaven who have been practicing their righteousness before people and they get less rewards than the rest of you. No. The issue is, if your righteousness is nothing but human and uh, designed to evoke human applause, you miss out on heaven. Um, Matthew chapter 10 uh, verses 41 and 42 is another. Um, the one who receives the prophet rece- because he's a prophet receiver, receives a prophet's reward. What is a prophet's reward? Well, <clears throat> it's the same one you get. What reward the prophet got is the one that you got, that you get, which is reception by God. <clears throat> Look at Matthew chapter 19. Guys... Um, The throat coat is not working. Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Um, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Who is that said to? That is said to a man who opens the conversation by saying this. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? That's the rich young ruler. This whole Story is about eternal life. Um, look at what, what is said um, in verse um, 23. Um, and Jesus said to it, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty with the rich enter the kingdom of heaven. This is about heaven. Not about, oh, if you do this, you'll get some more rewards. The reward is heaven. A few more. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to skip 1 Timothy chapter six. Well, no, I'm not either. 1 Timothy chapter six. Verse 19. Um, The storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Gang, um, notice Take hold of that which is truly life. All of us are doing that. Anybody on our way, any of us on our way to heaven are trying to take hold to what that is truly life. Not some added and additional rewards once we're in there. Gang, several New Testament texts warn Christians that we're going to have to give an account. Yes, yes we are. But the purpose of that giving an account is to declare us acquitted, not to embarrass us before the entire cosmos for our human failings. The contrast in those settings, like Matthew 25, is between the saved and the lost, not between two or more kinds of believers. Guys, um, Matthew 25, uh, Depart from Me, I Never Knew You, that passage. What's being contrasted in that Matthew 25 passage is the contrast between faithfulness and unfaithfulness. It's between Christians and non-Christians, not several degrees of Christians. Let me show you this one. I love this one. Mark 10 this is when James and John's mother come to Jesus. Actually, Mark 10 says it's James and John who come. Matthew says it's their mother. But they come to Jesus. And um, I'm in Mark 10, beginning at verse 35. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit at one at one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Uh, clearly, I, I think it's safe to say that James and John um, are, are thinking about a, a, a Jewish system of rewards. But I want you to notice how Jesus replies. Yeah, James, John? There are numerous spots of gradation in heaven and I'll see what I can do for you. And I'll see if you can get one of the good seats. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see how Jesus answers those two? He talks to them about servanthood. He talks to them about what the leader in the in the Christian community looks like. He talks to them about a servant model of leadership. He does not answer their request because their request is misguided. And so what you want me to do um, is teach you some kind of doctrine of heavenly hierarchies? When Jesus Christ dismisses the whole idea? I'll just have to mention these and we're going to close. But 1 Corinthians 4, 5. It's not describing some kind of permanent difference or status in heaven. Philippians three fourteen The prize. Go there. Just look at Philippians chapter 3 real quick. Philippians 3 um, verse 14 um, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus what is the prize so that he can attain to the resurrection from the dead what prize is Paul looking for that I can be resurrected from the dead or that I, um, that I can enjoy heaven? Guys, here's all the texts. You go study them. But let me, let me tell you what my conclusion is. And by the way, if you will come, not next week, we're closed next week, that's Thanksgiving week, you know that. But if you will come on the next week, and after we get through voting, I'm going to give you, we're not going to talk about texts. We're going to talk about reasons to reject this, not what I'm mean, um, doing, this Doctrine of Rewards thing and I'm going to give you about eight. But very frankly, you don't need to hear my reasons, my eight reasons. You need to hear from the scriptures. My eight reasons are not as important as what the text has to say. Now, having examined some of the texts, somewhat casual or quickly, here's my conclusion. There is no unambiguous New Testament doctrine of varying eternal rewards for believers that will be enjoyed for an eternity. It's not in here. But that notion that appeals to our basis instincts gets some has been taught you. And not only, ladies and gentlemen, has it done damage to the people of God, I think, it has also undercut the beauties of grace. No wonder that our default mode is always law code living obey the rules because you cut your teeth on a doctrine that told you that if you just be a good little boy and girl you're going to be rewarded in heaven and you're going to be walking the streets of gold with more rewards than Jimmy Young and I'm telling you ladies and gentlemen that has not been helpful. It's been positively deleterious. They're the text. You go look at them. And then two weeks from tonight, we'll come back and I'm going to add to my argument. But hopefully we've dealt at least cursorily with the text that trouble us. Let's quit. Our Father, um, I, I pray that what these people here from the pulpits in this place will be things that is constantly pointing, to, pointing them to the beauty of Christ and Him crucified. Constantly showing them what love is. The, the depths of the love of God. He so loved His people that He provided a method, a remedy for their sin in Christ Jesus. That our response is not to um, twist his arm into giving us something better than the next guy. Our response, our, our legitimate response is to find that our heart is being changed. That our loves are being altered. And as we find a different definition of beauty. We find that our lives slowly, progressively, are changing and coming more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Father, um, those who have taught this thing, I I, I do trust that their intentions have been good. The product has been awful. Would you... um, would you set us free from such legal thinking, knowing that the the goal is the same—to be more like the Savior—but the the way to produce that is vastly different. Would you um, would you show this group of believers the great beauty of sovereign grace? We pray, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen.